you'll get a little note after we hit start stop. Uh, usually a few seconds later, a little note pops up that's like, everything's uploaded. And then that's cool. If it doesn't come up, we ask you to keep the window open until it Got does. It. But that's no, on I'm, the other I'm side. I'm out of here the second it ends. <laughs> oh, God. I'm shutting down my computer, throwing it out the window. Good. Good. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So here we go. Um, hey, welcome to Funny Parents, everybody. Yay! And we are joined here. Oh, my goodness. We are joined here by Alex Zelbin, who, uh, in my memory, you are the first official artistic director of the People's Improv Theater. Am I wrong Is about that? I I. There had to be somebody before me. My memory doesn't go back that far. It only is about <laughs> two, three years at this point, I think, if I'm being generous. But uh, I, I think there was somebody before me, but I was definitely artistic director for two years at the pit. Wow. And that that's that's, uh, that's incredible longevity <laughs> in that job. <laughs> working. Yeah, it's like defense against yeah, the dark yeah. arts, but for comedy theaters <laughs> in New York. That's totally what it is. Yeah, well, that's the thing. An artistic director is um, frequently a a uh, a. Uh, it doesn't give a picture of what the job frequently entails. Um, uh, it it feels like so, but that's where we met, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you were with a great sketch group at the time, and uh, and also, of course, starting. Uh, I feel like that was right around the beginning of Comic Book Club, right? Yeah. When I was artistic director, I had this the short version of the story is I had a, a list of ideas of different shows. And one of them I had written down my pad was comic book talk show, quick question mark. <laughs> uh, and then two guys that I'd worked with that didn't know each other previously, Pete LePage, who I know you very, know very Pete well, yes. came in with a comic, a bag from Midtown Comics here in New York. And I was like, yeah. you, you're you're a comic book fan, right? You, you like comic books. <laughs> and this was a decade and a half ago when it was not cool to like comic books and the MCU hadn't started or any of those things. So right. he was basically like, why? What do you want to, what do you want to know? What are you going to do? Are you going to stuff me in a locker? Room? <laughs> and I was like, no, no, I have an idea for you. And I shared the idea. And the same thing with Justin Tyler, the other guy on comic book club, yeah. same exact reaction, walked in with Midtown comics bag. We sat down, <laughs> Talked about the idea of the show. I had some free space at the theater. We ended up doing it. And that is 15 years later, the longest consistent thing I've done longer than my marriage. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. Is it? And and, and are you, are you guys, I I feel embarrassed for, for asking this. Are you guys still doing it? Yeah, we have been doing it during the pandemic virtually. Obviously, The Pit right. has been only doing very sporadic shows, but we did it a bunch of different venues. We did it at The Pit for a while. We moved over to this bar called Fantanas. We were doing it with Nerdist.com mm-hmm. for a while right. as well. But we've kept doing it the entire time. And the weird thing that happened is not only do we have this weekly comic book show, which I'll, I'll sneak in a plug here, Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. at Crowdcast and YouTube, come hang out. We answer questions live about comic books and interview people and stuff. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but we spun it off we into a bunch of TV recap podcasts that are comic book tied as well. We decided it would be wow. kind of fun to do a Riverdale podcast because right. of the Archie Comics connection. And people really responded well. And now basically every day of the week, I'm hopping on with Justin and Peter like, okay, what show are we talking about? What are we doing? What are we taping the podcast for? 
Oh so, my God. So yeah, it's going, it's going maybe too much. Well, well, it is amazing. And it's, it's amazing to, uh, you know, to get to work with cool people for such a long time, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's the main thing that we talk about, even when it gets stressful and we're doing <laughs> seven <laughs> podcasts in a week or something insane like that. Oh it's God. that we have fun doing them. And I think the second we stop having fun doing them, we will check out and stop. But that hasn't happened so far. That's awesome. And I have to say, I discovered Riverdale After Dark um, through Louis Perlman. Oh, yes. nice. Um, he felt it would, might be an outlet for my grief <laughs> when Luke Perry. Oh yeah. Oh, that's away. right. Um, just because, you know, I am of that generation mm-hmm. that, um, you know, he was Dylan McKay. And so <laughs> we're aware, Mary. <laughs> I know, it is still traumatic. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That. But yes. <laughs> but it yeah. was amazing to me. Again, I will say I had no idea prior to that podcast that it was connected mm-hmm. to the comic books. I had zero, mm-hmm. didn't know. Um, but it just made me realize though, that so much of contemporary storytelling mm-hmm. is actually comic book based. Oh, yeah. Very much. So it's something again, getting back to that thing that I was saying earlier that 15 years ago, comic books were sort of this secret thing that you didn't let people know you liked or you had to spend a really long time explaining what they are. And then movies to every TV show, absolutely everything you can point definitely to Marvel and their influence. That's certainly the predominant one, but you go over to CW, all the DC superhero shows Mm -hmm. built out their own thing and Mm -hmm. everybody wants a piece of that pie. Everything they it's funny because they started in a way where people use them as kind of IP farms where they said, okay, we're going to come up yeah. with these ideas and we don't really care about the comic books. We're just going to sell them TV, sell them for movies. And the dynamic has really flipped in a certain way where mm. comic book creators are able to make these comics. And then there's so much that TV and movie companies want that they're able to pick and choose and say, yeah, no, you, you can't have that property. That's my property. That's a comic book property, but I got this other thing that'll actually really work and you can pay me, uh, through the nose for that. So it's been kind of amazing to see. And yeah, like you're saying so many shows, so many different things we had, uh, last week on the show, we had this guy, Max Allen Collins, who's been mm-hmm. working for a really long time as a mystery writer. And he wrote road to perdition. Oh which, yeah. If you remember, yeah, it was yeah. The movie with Tom Hanks. Yeah. And that's sort of the predominant example of, I bet you didn't know that was based on a graphic novel. He was telling a story on the show, which was kind of amazing about, he wrote the graphic novel. It was a bestseller. Two years later, it's a movie with Tom Hanks and Paul Newman and everybody else. They're having the red carpet. And he said, hey, can I go? The movie is based on my novel. <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. He got on the carpet. And when he got on the carpet, the big question that people were shouting at him, they were saying, Max, 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 what is a graphic novel? <gasps> and... and he was talking about this and we were talking about this a bit on the show, just the fact that it's changed so much since back then. They didn't yeah. want to say that it was a graphic novel on the movie. They wanted to say based on the novel, but he insisted. And again, we're now a decade and a half down the road and it's a completely different world. Yeah. Speaking of then, then what graphic novels do your kids read or comic book series? 
Ooh, great question. They are voracious readers, and we have tons of graphic novels around the house. Also, you probably know this, but teachers, unlike when I was a kid, are so much more open about comics. True. In Very true. They'll say, you can read a book or graphic novel, which I think is so cool. Yeah. But the two that I'll call out, my son... So I have two kids. My daughter is 11 now, and my son is seven. My son at camp picked this up this year and got so addicted to it, we ended up getting in the whole series. The series called Bone, which is Mm. an all-ages fantasy graphic novel. It's about a little character who kind of looks like a bone, and he goes on adventures. There's some scary stuff, but really, really good, and really good for that age group, and he just inhaled the whole thing. The other one that I'll mention that my daughter really likes a lot is a book series called The Olympians. Oh, and yeah. These are, yeah. yeah, they're great. They're a very, very detailed. They're by a guy named George O'Connor, I believe is his name. And they're very detailed, but very well done Greek myth stories. Each one right. focuses on a different member of the Pantheon, and they all kind of tie in together. So it sort of works as almost a superhero universe, but it's with the Greek gods. It's, it's very cool. That's awesome. I've I've gotten that from the library and sort of set it in my son's orbit, <laughs> and uh, and 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 he didn't he didn't grab it yet, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean he won't. Um, yeah, yet, just leave um, a trail of them towards something cool, and, and right. that's how it'll work. You know, and it's so funny because we're trying to our older one. We're just trying to get him and away from everything sports. Like he's just. He's yeah. in that sports bubble. Yeah. Um, but yet our younger son, our seven-year-old, I just wrote these recommendations down, by the way. Yeah. Um, because he is at that seven-year-old age where he does he's capable completely of reading chapter books that are just words. He does not want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at all. He's like, no thanks, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> if he's not really into word books, but you want to try comics, there's a new one called Jonah and the Unpossible Monsters. It's oh being released in single issues right now, but it's just about this very strong little girl and this her sister is trying to find her in the woods. She just spends the entire time fighting monsters, and that's pretty much it. And there's barely any dialogue. But the art is by this guy named Chris Samney and his wife, Laura Samney, and they're incredible incredible artists sort of more on the side of cartoon and mm-hmm. it's it's very fun I, I recommend that as almost a gateway thing because you don't have to worry about too much plot too much story it's just yeah fighting monsters and having a good time see that that's 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 him <laughs> yeah i mean we often Nailed get it. killed by lightsabers by invisible lightsabers and yeah like yeah it happens all of a sudden you hear like <laughs> well his story today that he was telling us yes. about that he's working on this, uh, is is about um, uh, tape and Velcro are roommates and they're they're like mortal enemies, um, and uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, so he's telling us about this very violent scene uh, between, between tape, tape and, and Velcro, Velcro. Um, who are fighting and getting stuck to each other continually. Um, anyway, uh, anyway, I having... love that. That's great. I want to hear more about that. Have him yeah. go on and tell that story. Well, that's the thing. We were working when, as he does. Oh, you said come on the podcast. I thought you were like, go get him. I want to hear this tape story. Uh, <laughs> get your son. <laughs> I want to. I want to confront your son live on this podcast. Exactly. Is that okay? Exactly. Like, why were you thinking this? Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. So uh, let me let me uh, 
awkwardly segue. Do the voice, uh, do the voice. And, and, and say, I, yeah, Alex Albin. That's a different, that's a totally different voice. <laughs> he does voice. it different every time. We, we hear you've got a story to tell. Why well do I? Is that good? Was that a good voice? That's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. Sure. Uh, the thing that I was thinking a little bit about since you invited me to be on the podcast was boundaries, which mm. I, I'm sure is something that you've talked about and had people talk about. And as parents, you know about a lot, but it's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit, uh, again, as I'm sure a lot of other people have over the past year and a half or so as our boundaries have changed both metaphorically and physically. Uh, yeah. But I'll actually start with, um, I guess it's almost two years ago at this point, my wife and I had lived in the same apartment in Park Slope, Slope for over a decade before our kids were even born. Mm. And it was great when we moved in. It was a bedroom and a half right in the middle of Park Slope. We loved it. It was just the two of us beautiful neighborhood, really easy access to our jobs. And then we had kids. We had a, our daughter about a year and a half into marriage. So, you know, you can figure out what happened there. Uh, and then <laughs> we had uh, my son uh, in 2014. So a couple of years after that. So about a four and a half year gap between the kids. Hmm. And for a while, it was still fine to live in this bedroom and a half. The other thing that I should probably mention about this is the apartment is is and was owned by a lady who did human right rights work in Jakarta. And oh, wow. so she had no need for the apartment, but the entire time we lived there, she would always send us an email, usually an email. I don't think we ever talked to her on the phone. We only met her in person once when she traveled back to New York just to visit some friends, but she would always email us and say, Hey, I'm thinking about coming back next year. I don't want to <laughs> kick you out or anything. But I'm thinking about coming back next year. So if you kind of look around for something and then she would not come back and something would change to say, oh, my thing had been extended. And it was almost like this whole, if you remember in Princess Bride, the Dread Pirate Roberts thing where yes. she'd say, uh -huh. I'll surely kill you in the morning. Yeah. So it'd be the same thing. So we'd panic for about a month and start looking <laughs> at apartments and then she'd say, oh, no, no, I'm not coming back. But so we'd consistently over the course of a decade be looking for apartments and looking for other places to go, but she did never come back. But at the same time, the kids were getting bigger and there was going to be mm. a certain point where we couldn't have two kids of differing sizes and needs living in the same half bedroom off of our living room where now that they were old enough and didn't sleep through the night, my wife and I could not watch TV because oh. the TV was next to it because we would wake them up. So it was a whole thing. And we started looking very heavily for them. And finally, we found an apartment that we really loved. The thing that was interesting about the apartment, I guess, was that it was completely unfinished. It was in Sunset Park, 40 blocks away from where we were currently living. So there would be a lot of challenges there in terms of getting the kids to school. It's away from where all of their friends live. So they can't mm -hmm. just you know run down the block and see them. Plus, mm -hmm. we just knew Park Slope really well from living there so long. Plus, my wife and I hate the idea of you moving and are scared of it. So there were a lot of things there. But we found this place and it was a raw space. The landlord said, hey, I'm building it up. We went to see it. There wasn't even a kitchen there. There was just some pipes sticking out of the floor. Oh my gosh. And absolutely nothing. But also there were two floors, two full mm. floors. So it was almost four times the size of our current apartment. <gasps> 
for not that much more money. And the thought of having this much more space was just exhilarating. The landlord promised us that everything was going to be finished. He showed us pictures of what it was going to look like and rendered. And we decided, okay, you know what? I think we should take the leap. I think we should do this. Again, the kids are not getting any smaller at this point. We got to get this apartment. So we t- did a handshake agreement, set a time for a to sign a lease, and then uh, work got shut down for the pandemic in oh. March. Oh my God. And we suddenly realized, oh no, wait a second. Okay, we don't know what this pandemic means or anything like that, but we're supposed to go. It was literally, I think, like March 14th, if I remember the dates correctly. I'm probably one day off, but March 14th was my wife's birthday, which was uh, Friday or Saturday. And we were supposed to do something for her birthday. Uh, instead, work got shut down the day before. Mm. We ended up having to sign a lease that day. And we were like, we don't know what is happening in the world. Are we supposed to breathe in the air? Are we supposed to walk to this lease place? Do we bump elbows with people? What is going on here? Let yeah. alone the fact that what is going to happen in terms of moving if everything is shut down? How do we do this? And we decided, my wife and I have always been not to pat ourselves on the back too much, but very good about figuring out problems and rolling with it, not getting too upset about something, figuring out, okay, if this doesn't work, what is, what's the next solution? What's the next thing we could do? So we figured we'd go forward because it's more important to get this space. And plus with knowing we're going to be inside probably for a week or two, right? That would be it. Uh, it would be nice to have a little more space there. So we signed the lease, signed up. And what happened was, first of all, the lady who lived in Jakarta couldn't come back to the apartment and kept writing us and saying, hey, I'm trapped in Jakarta. They shut down the borders. So there's no problem there, even though we knew initially that she was probably going to come back midsummer. Second thing is the landlord himself completely couldn't finish the apartment because nobody was working and nobody was able to work. So it kept getting stretched out and stretched out and stretched out for months and months and months while we were not only living in this bedroom and a half, but couldn't leave this bedroom and a half. So I, you know, I'm working on the bed. My wife is working on the bed. My kids are having school and living room. And I don't think I have a unique experience here because a lot of people are like this and probably even in smaller spaces, but we were literally clawing and going up against the wall. When finally, finally he told us it was mostly finished except for the stairs, which still need to be put in. From the upstairs to the downstairs, and said we could finally move in. We said great, and we booked a moving van. You know, talked to them about COVID safety and everything else, and ultimately were able to move. It was a very stressful day, as moves always are, except for the plus the fact that we had to double clean everything. We had to work with the movers that were great, but everybody's wearing masks and trying to figure out how to do it. And ultimately, it was very smooth. But we got everything in and got into the apartment, and I think I sat on the kitchen floor for probably two hours after that, not moving, <laughs> which mind you was finally finished at this point. Yeah. But we were in this new place, granted with all these boxes. So we didn't have a lot of room to move. The whole point of the setup though, is that we finally managed to clear everything out and get settled with furniture and have our apartment by about, I would say mid-October of that year was the point when really we figured out where everybody's living. The kids had beds, for example. That was a nice thing that we got them. Nice. And it was yeah. right on time for my favorite holiday of the year, which is Halloween. Mm. So I think partially because of all of this lead up and partially because of the world, we just decided 
this is our first celebration. We can't have a party. It's just going to be the four of us. We can't go out trick-or-treating because we don't feel safe going out. So let's have the biggest party possible here with just the four of us and mm. really make this something special and great for the kids mm. because they're not going to get to be able to do the most fun kid holiday possible. So this kind of gets into the boundaries thing where we decide to really loosen the boundaries here. Normally, you know, we do one activity and then watch a couple of movies and go to sleep early and you can have a piece of candy or two and then space it out. Instead, we went to the other direction and the rules were as soon as you wake up, you could have as much candy as you want. Oh my goodness. And we just went for it. We also, because I have no self-control when it comes to buying things, uh, got as much candy as you would need for an entire night full of trick-or-treaters, but just for the four of us. So the kids wa- woke up. We had also gotten these very cheap, uh, but fun, as it turned out, uh, party games from Target. It was like a $3 beanbag toss and a pin the tail, pin the legs on the spider type thing. So we had gotten a couple of those games. So the way that we arranged the day is, hey, we'll wake up, we'll eat some candy for breakfast, and then we'll play a game, and then we'll watch a movie, and then we'll play another game and eat some more candy, and then (laughs) keep doing that all day long. And as adults, my wife and I were like, we, this sounds great. We ate a couple of pieces of candy. It was fine. The kids were like, we are in Wonka's candy factory. It is time to go to town and had the best time. And honestly, for most of the day, it was fantastic. They were having a great time and planned out exactly how we wanted it to, where they were happy and we were having a wonderful time as a family. And we got to the end of the day and we always end Halloween by watching Nightmare Before Christmas. That's our Mm. Halloween tradition transition from one season to the other so still the kids we brought all of the candy downstairs one other thing actually i should mention i I forgot to mention this earlier since we have this new place and it was so nice we made a rule no food downstairs Uh we're going to keep it clean we're not going to get any bugs down there and in fact this apartment has been relatively bug free except for some incidences that are probably for a bug theme podcast i could talk about Uh, but It's been great to not have food all over the place and not have to clean food in the TV area, on the couch, all of those things. Instead, we keep the food upstairs. We keep it uh, closed. But we decided to make an exception for Halloween. We said, bring down as much candy as you want. Keep eating candy. It's the end of the day. Have a great time. And so we're halfway through the movie, at which point my son stands up and goes, "Um, um, excuse me, excuse me, I'm sorry, excuse me. And I look over and I say, what is it, Milo? And as I look over, I see that, no joke, the entire couch is completely covered in vomit. <laughs> like, <gasps> from, from one side to the other, we didn't hear anything. He did not make a sound at all, but completely covered, just all over the place. And so we had to pause <laughs> the movie, obviously. <laughs> Spent the rest of the night cleaning up the couch. It smelled like puke down there. And oh. we were like, okay, maybe all the candy you could eat nonstop for 12 hours wasn't the best plan here. <laughs> so boundaries are probably important in the future. So the other thing that I wanted to mention, the other uh, uh, extension of this story, I guess, is another thing that happened recently because we have been pretty good about keeping those boundaries and being parents and not going over the top or crazy with anything just being very 
even about mm-hmm. everything throughout this pandemic to try to keep things as even as possible, particularly after that Halloween incident where we're like, whole hog, let's go over the top. <laughs> um, up until the other night, I got invited to a advanced screening of Shang-Chi, the new Marvel mm-hmm. movie. And I, I love mm-hmm. Marvel. I love comics like we've talked about before. Um, I was very excited to go see it, nervous because uh, COVID still, sure. but at the same time, I haven't seen a movie since the pandemic started. The last movie we saw before Shang-Chi was Onward, which came out at the beginning of March oh, of right, 2020. Yeah. Haven't been to a theater, only watched stuff at home, been very safe. But my wife and I are both vaccinated and we thought, you know what? Maybe we could actually see this. This is free. You know, people are probably going to be wearing their masks. They're going to be safe. They told us there would be social distancing at the screening. Um, it was on the Upper East Side. You guys probably know this, but the Lincoln Square mm-hmm. uh, Cinemas, the, the nice IMAX theater up there. Yeah. So we thought, and it was also the day after our anniversary. So we thought, hey, you know what? Again, like, let's loosen the boundaries a little bit. Let's give ourselves a treat. Let's go out. Let's go see a movie. The second part of this is that my daughter is now 11 and we have never done this before, but we said, would you feel comfortable since it's nighttime? If we left you with my son alone, you put him to bed and we'll be back at like, I don't know, the latest nine 30 or something like that. No big deal. And the nice part about this, the second, like the backup thing is we actually had some friends who moved into the apartment next door. So there was a backup there. If there was emergency, we said, go to Mary and Mike next door. You could talk to them, but everything should be fine. My daughter also has her own phone, so she could always text us. So we had it all set up, obviously very nervous, pretending not to be nervous for the kids, (laughs) but kind of terrified because (laughs) first time we've been out, let alone to a movie in a year and a half. But we decided, okay, we're going to try this. This is going to be fine. It's going to be like three, four hours, absolutely tops if the subway takes a while. And everything's going to be good. It's going to be all good. So we went to the movie. Through two thirds of the way through the movie, I start to feel my phone buzzing. I usually I would turn it off during a movie, but in this case, in case there was an emergency, I left it on. Felt my phone buzzing like a phone call. I was like, "Oh God! Oh, it's happening! Oh, something terrible has happened!" And I pull my phone out of my pocket very carefully because I still don't want to annoy anybody around me, mm-hmm. uh, even though I'm worried that my kids are dying. And I pull out the phone and I look at it, and there's an emergency. It's not a phone call. It's an emergency warning, and it says "flash flood warning for the New York City oh. area." And I was like, oh, it's just a flash flood warning. No big deal. Uh And I put my phone back in my pocket and we watched the rest of the movie. About 10 minutes later, everybody else's phone goes off. Everybody laughs, thinks it's very funny. And (laughs) you can probably see where this is going. But we get out of the movie and it's torrential sheets downpour outside Mm -hmm. the movie theater. Yeah. And still, my wife and I, who, as I've established, we kind of roll with these things. We're like, oh, ha, ha, oh, it's raining a lot. We're going to get pretty wet. Good thing we brought umbrellas just in case. So we run out, get completely soaked, like head to toe soaked. But the subway, luckily, is only about two blocks away. But we managed to make it to the one train. We haven't uh, gotten a text or anything like that from the kids. So we're like, okay, we'll get on the subway. We'll get home. It'll be a funny story to tell how we got oh, so wet. So we get on the subway. Subway barely moves anywhere because everybody could just probably figure this out, but this is the night of the enormous flood in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get on the subway. Finally, it does go two stops, and then the, that subway line shuts down. So mm. we're like, okay, all right, this might take a little longer than expected, but we're still going to get home. We run one block over to the R train, 
And we're waiting, waiting for the R train, at which point we get a text from our neighbor who says, flooding in the basement, really bad. And mm-hmm. that's it. No, no elaboration, no pictures. <laughs> and we're like, oh, no. Okay. Did my children get washed away? What, 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 is there anything else you want to tell us about this? And so we're trying to text them, but they're clearly in the middle of dealing with something. We end up texting my daughter uh, and she's like, she is 11. So sends, okay, and fine, or a smiling emoji. And that's pretty much it through the phone. So we don't get much elaboration there, but we're like, okay, there's nothing we can do from here. It's fine. It's probably just a little bit of water in the basement. All the kids are fine. Everything's totally fine. And to make a very long story short, ultimately, we the one train didn't come. We ran down to Times Square because we figured if there was a train anywhere, it's going to be at Times Square. Mm-hmm. We get to Times Square. They say, all the subways are shutting down. We don't know what to do. Yeah. We think, okay, if we're trapped in Manhattan, that that actually is the worst case scenario. And I don't know what we'll do at that point. But we somehow managed to get on the last end train out of Manhattan before they shut down literally the entire subway system. Oh my, oh my goodness. And the entire time we're texting back and forth with our daughter who's saying it's bad. They've gotten the books out of the way. They've picked up all the electronics and everything. Um, they seem to be okay, but at the same time, it's getting steadily more terrifying. We finally got to Brooklyn, got left off at the Atlantic Pacific stop, which if anybody doesn't know is a central hub and ended up because there's no buses, there's no subway trains, there's no Ubers, there's no lifts or anything like that. We ended up walking home in the, at this point, light rain, mm-hmm. but ultimately didn't get home until 1.30 in the morning oh when God. we had promised oh 9.30 or 10. And we get home and we see everybody, including my daughter, mind you, standing in the basement, completely wiped out in about two feet of water, trying to shop back it up. Uh, and the first thing, funnily enough, by the way, my landlord says to me, he looks at me, and his face completely falls. And he doesn't say anything about my kids or anything like that. He says, hey, there was a box of comics. And <laughs> and it did get a little soaked. It was fine. But I was also like, okay, but the people are fine, right? <laughs> Just tell me the people are fine. It, I haven't heard anything about my son. Is he okay? Did he get washed away in the flood? Where mm-hmm. is he? And ultimately, it turned out that two things happened. One, my son slept through the entire thing. And the next day after I had been up until 5am shop vacuuming the whole basement and trying to get it back as normal as much as possible and letting things dry out, he came downstairs, saw books and boxes and everything all over the couch, which mind you, same couch that he vomited all over, <laughs> uh, sees them up there and came in at about six in the morning after I'd slept for maybe about an hour, hour and a half. And was like, Hey, was there a robber? Did somebody rob us? And I don't know why he thought there was a reverse robber that took all of our books and placed them on the couch, but that was his thought. But then the second thing is that ultimately my daughter was the one who noticed the flooding. It apparently was coming out of the toilets in the basement and filling Mm, everything up. And if she hadn't been downstairs watching TV by herself, nobody would have known until it was way too late to actually do anything about it. So ultimately that was the good part of it, but getting back to the boundaries of it all, our main reaction was, okay, so we're never going to the movies again. Yep. We're <laughs> never going out. That's the lesson that we learned here. Yep. This was not an aberration. Anytime we go out, this is what's going to happen. But yeah. of course it's not. And of course that's not what's going to happen. And of course, somewhere a couple of months down the road, we'll try to, 
push those boundaries with our kids again, even though the last two big boundary pushing experiences have not been, let's say, necessarily <laughs> ideal. But I think that's part of parenting, right? Is you you push those boundaries, you make mistakes, and then you figure out new ways to push them again so that they can continue to grow. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yes, you can never go to the movies again. I mean, yeah. you're like, yeah. you're like a Done. solid five more years now before you can... Oh, we got tickets to go see Venom Let There Be Carnage tomorrow, so I'm very excited about that. No, we didn't. <laughs> oh, but can we say goodness. how diesel your daughter is? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. She knew exactly what to do, was not flat by it, was up until whatever we got home again, uh, yeah. but helping everybody out and taking her the books and everything, and we were... The amount of times we told her we were proud of her is innumerable in this wow. situation. But she also was like, don't ever go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. And it's hard for people who don't live here to understand that when the subway system shuts mm -hmm. down, you are so far away from your home. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like to walk would be you would walk through the entire night. Yeah. Exactly. And our main goal, because the part that I left out, just because it's only interesting to New Yorkers, is it was initially an end train and it went express for, I think, one stop to 14th Street. We're like, great, this is going to take no time at all. This is amazing. I can't believe we actually got on a train. And then it switched to local and then it started crawling and it got exponentially smaller and like, I don't know, this fractal way every single stop. <laughs> and the entire time, all I could think is all we need to do is get to Brooklyn, whatever the first stop of Brooklyn yeah. is, because even if it's torrential downpour, we can walk from there. But if we have to walk over the bridge, we will straight up die. Yes. I, I yeah. don't even know what yeah. we would do. But it, it worked out. It worked out. It was all okay. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. That is And amazing. your sweet landlord. Yeah. <laughs> there was a box of comics. And they were all in plastic bags. I, it's not my first rodeo, buddy. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that even more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You're like, I plan for these contingencies. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we do. Oh, oh my gosh. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah.